You've become one of the clicky clacky people now, Ed. Clicky. <laughs> uh, <laughs> for thinking about that for three days. Really? No. <laughs> if you say if I say cherry MX blue, does that mean anything to you? Uh, I know I know what cherry red is. So from context of that, I imagine that's probably a probably a button press. Is that right? Yeah, blue's the blue's the clickety clackety one. Uh-huh. And then they get progressively less clickety clackety. Uh, so you're you're going hard in on most most clacky most noise no 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 i want i don't want to disturb everyone in the office i haven't actually picked one yet isn't that the i mean we should i suppose we should clarify for context we're talking about quote unquote mechanical keyboards um so you've been a proper a professional programmer for less than a week and already you've you want a mechanical keyboard i don't want i just i'm in an office now where every single person has one so i'm thinking there must be a reason for that be be the change you want to see in the world ed well, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> like, why? Why has everyone got these? There may be a reason that they're better for your fingers, or they're more responsive and last longer. Yeah, for some people, like I think it's the key travel, is it? And the, but, but mostly it seems to be the noise, and that frustrates everybody else around them who is not. It's like, it's vir- like virtue signaling, isn't it? It's like I'm a proper programmer because my keyboard is louder than yours. Is my mm. experience of people who use. Oh, I don't keyboards. think that's what. I don't think that's how it's seen there. But I, I, at the moment, the keyboard I've got, the escape key is not lined up with the actual keyboard. What? So as a Vim user, I do actually need to uh, get a new keyboard of some type. <laughs> All this links into our question for this week, which is how much tooling is too much tooling? And what do we mean by tooling, Tom? Yeah, I think we've been pretty vague about tooling so far. I would, when I first proposed this as a question idea, I wasn't thinking of like tooling as in the tools that you use uh, as part of your machine, so keyboards and such. But I think we can expand it to include that. But generally, it's the things around what I think of it as is the things around coding that aren't actually the writing the code itself. It's the stuff that supports you, like the admin side of things. Yeah, maybe. Um, but also, like, there's a difference between. I mean, certainly from the front end world. Like what you need to ship a website to a server is you need HTML files, you need CSS, and you need JavaScript. Uh, quote unquote need in that scenario. But very rarely do we write just those three files. I mean, I can't remember the last time I wrote a .html file extension, and certainly not CSS and JavaScript because it all gets compiled. So there's a pipeline that takes like the easy to write sort of happy developer experience of writing code in the way that you want to write code and then that being taken and processed and turned into code that is shippable to the browser. Um, but in a general sense, when, I mean, because you you don't care about browsers anymore, do you, now that you're an embedded software nerd? Um, no, surprisingly, <laughs> I'm working in a browser. That's <laughs> all, all I've done so far. Everything comes back. The web is eating everything. So yeah, be prepared for that. Uh, but generally, I think tooling can be... We could use that to talk about... Um, the build, build pipelines in any software. I mean, most things have some kind of compile stage, but also the little helpers that make stuff run a bit more smoothly. Like what would pre- like in the 90s would have been called a macro, I guess. <laughs> so you're kind of like, is this similar to it abstracting stuff out so that you don't have to worry about it? Yeah, kind of automating the boring yeah. stuff, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, that's a good book. I've never read it. I like the title. <laughs> It's a good book. What does so that book specifically? What does that cover? Is that talking about Bash scripts? No, this that's Python. Automate yeah. the boring stuff with Python. Okay. By Al Swag- 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 I always get his name wrong. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Um, 
but it just talks about automating different things. Mm. I think someone listening who maybe has not automated anything before might not even know what we mean by automating. I mean, so like automatically sending an email, for example, when you do a certain thing, or sending a text message, or scraping the web for some data that you want without having to actually go onto the website and copy and paste the information mm-hmm. you want. You can just run a little Python script that goes to that website, gets the data, and puts it in a file on your machine for you. One of the earlier exercises, you go to a Wikipedia page, you scrape the data, and then it gives you a nice, uh, it turns it into like a text file with bullet-pointed list of everything that's on there, for example. Yeah, I think that's a very good example. I think that that's, that, that kind of automation is exactly the thing we're talking about. And the reason for making this a question and something that's worth an episode is twofold. I think, firstly, those little things are quite nerdy and quite fun, and I enjoy sort of diving into them and I think a lot of developers do like take pleasure in like a really good automated system and like a really efficient workflow I'm all about efficiency but also the flip side of that is it's very easy to get obsessed with it and spend more time automating than you would actually save from actually if you just did it manually now you're saying this I'm sure we've talked about this recently I can't remember which episode it would have been yeah I think that's why the question's in there because we want to talk about like the specific get dive into the specifics and actually have license to talk about alfred shortcuts and so is this actually one of those episodes that you said we'll talk more about that in a later episode i think it might be yeah i think we've actually come around to <laughs> wow yeah <laughs> we just didn't realize it <laughs> i think yeah that's the, the nature of putting in <laughs> putting in questions when you think of them and then forgetting about the context so yeah so when i thought of tooling i thought of like what screens you use what operating system and keyboard etc that we talked about at the beginning um i didn't really think about it in terms of software tooling yeah i think it's i think it covers all of it and i think they're all of them are interesting to talk about particularly being as i wanted to nag you about mechanical keyboards <laughs> <laughs> yeah before we move on from that i should definitely clarify that the people that i've worked with who have used mechanical keyboards are often much better programmers than i am <laughs> and are <laughs> genuinely friendly nice people um i just find the clacky clacky of a keyboard very frustrating particularly open plan offices i think open plan offices is perhaps a topic for a lightning episode at some point in the future i thought you just didn't like the look of them i thought they just weren't uh... i do like the look of them i think the like some of the ones with the wooden frames and the nice lights under i think they're really cool oh, i don't like the lights yeah, i like the little i like the little condensed ones as well where it's like they don't even have a case around and it's just the key they look really good it's just the noise, and I don't like typing on them. I think the travel is too much. I like I like the customizability of it. I like people who like print. A lot of people three D print their own keycaps, and I, yeah, I see the fun in that. I just don't see the utility in using one to program with. <laughs> so I am I'm doing my thorough research on it, but it's quite fun. Like you say, we like nerdy things. It's quite yeah. fun <laughs> getting excited about a keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> but aside from keyboards, it's fun to get. Like all of that stuff, like having a multi-monitor set up and deciding whether you're a trackpad or a mouse kind of person, or or the little tiny little red red nipple that you got in uh, ThinkPads back in the day. Oh, that was always yeah. my favourite. <laughs> um, yeah, I have actually found having like multiple screens has made me more. I can work quicker. Oh yeah, is this your, is this your first time working with multiple screens? It is. Yeah, I'm used to my 27 inch screen at home. That's true. Your screen is massive, so I suppose it's not so much of a so that's, problem. I, I quite like that, but I could, I'm getting used to having three screens on the go at once. Mm. I've got a nice uh, wall wallpaper that's got the sun on one, the earth in the middle one, and the moon on the other. Oh, goodness me. That's, that's quite cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think having 
I was surprised how much of a productivity boost having multiple screens was. I thought it was just like a naff thing that you did to look like a nerd from The Matrix, but... With your clickety-clackety keyboard. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yeah, it's all part of the signalling rather than actually being useful. But no, I think being able to condense things to different screens is so helpful i really like it yeah it's been um it's been extremely helpful Mm -hmm. Uh, because i was i've only got a 13 inch laptop so being able to have the multiple things is fantastic and i'll put a uh should we put this picture in the uh show notes it does look pretty good actually (laughs) this background yeah Yeah, so i don't know if you can see closely but the escape key is not lined up with the keys at the end that is horrible that's really horrible you need a new keyboard yeah, no, I know. <laughs> That's why I was looking into getting a new keyboard. <laughs> oh, is that what is that? Is that a mouse? Oh my God, looks like a spaceship. Uh, MX Master. Mm. It's fantastic. Looks like a Star Trek shuttlecraft. The great thing about it is it's got a thumb scroll wheel, and I always use it for editing the podcast, so I can scroll back and forth. So, and it's supposedly more ergonomic. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I've never had any problems with trackpad. I just there's some things I can't do with a trackpad. I do first person shooters with trackpad now as well. What? Yeah. <laughs> How? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I just got, you've got so used to it. I can't, uh, by my, uh, with a mouse, I'm just, oh, it's like driving a left-hand drive car or something. It's really weird. Well, let's move on to our next topic, which is talking about, which I have had some experience with, is a Kanban board. Um, and I think there's a lot of words around the way you work in an office or a company that are probably words that you might have heard people say, but are... It's quite strange words. So things like agile and sprints, scrum, Kanban being one. Yeah. You'd never um, heard of a Gantt chart either, had you? I don't know what a Gantt chart is and I still don't. No. Well, <laughs> hopefully you won't because it's kind of a waterfally thing. Um, See, and that's another one. Waterfally thing. Is, <laughs> if you're, if you're, if you have never worked like I had um, a week ago, I, without going and looking up these specific words, you don't know what they are, do they? No. They're, they're things that come when you when you are working with a company. Hmm. And there might be freelancers out there that don't know what these things are either because that's not the way they work. So you, you're only going to pick those up when you're, when you're working at a company. And I imagine each company does things their own way. So they're almost kind of not worth learning about unless you have to for your job. That's absolutely true. And even within something like Agile, I've worked at three different companies now that claim to be Agile and all of them implement it in a different way. Um, yeah. yeah. But then um, that's good because you take these systems and then you use them the way that work best at your company for your specific set of work. I think everyone does that. And I think that's that's the power of them. And then it also gives you... And we've talked about this in previous... We talked about this previously in terms of things like to brace for going into your first programming job is that it's not all code writing. There's a lot of logistics stuff that goes with it as well. Um, so, we, yeah, so we tried to make tried to make sure you knew what a, you were expecting to have stand-ups and you were expecting sprints maybe, perhaps. Um, so, I mean, yeah, so maybe it is good if you are looking at applying into these jobs, it's good to know what they are so that when someone says that to you mm. in your first day, that you, you, like, you vaguely, you have some sort of overview of what that means. So agile... Well, you tell me. Well, there's the yeah, there's the agile manifesto, which is a like a way of like a theory methodology behind how software is created and how like favoring people over process. And there's various like bullet points in this manifesto that are really useful. Um, and so a lot of people adapt that into a system. And there are people that sell themselves as, as agile coaches, and some are very good, some are kind of selling snake oil. But generally speaking, it's a way of not doing waterfall. 
So knowing that Agile exists, knowing that Waterfall is a thing, which is where you do one task, you move on to the next task, and then you move on to the next task. Things are handed over. Like you do a thing, hand it over to the next person who does the next stage of the thing. So a designer would design a UI, a developer would then build that, and a tester would then test it and in that order. Um, whereas something like Agile, you kind of drip, you break that up a bit. So you'd have like a, a little iteration cycles of kind of design and development and testing all at the same time. And then that it creates a little feedback loop and you kind of slowly progress so that you don't, I think the main thinking of it is you don't get to the end of a project and have a big reveal and have this thing that's absolutely unfit for purpose because you've been testing it in the real world at all the different stages. Yeah, just like coding, there's iteration going on mm. as you're doing the project. Yeah, and I think that it, it it's sort of fractal in that it expands and contracts at all scales. So you can look at it over the whole life, life cycle of an entire project uh, or on the specifics of coding a specific function for a thing. You like doing test driven development is sort of the living embodiment of that to an extent. Um, but there's yeah, the abstract concept of agile. There's the abstract concept of waterfall and there's various other things in between extreme programming and all loads of different buzzwords. But if you know the core ones that your company's dealing with, you can see how they're adapt. Like if you know the raw principles, you can see how the specific place you're working has adapted them because no one, as far as I can tell, does the same thing anywhere. I think everywhere has their own, like we said, everywhere has their own implementation. But knowing how that, where that comes from and how that's been put together is very useful when you start a job. And that's one of the sort of, like those kind of systems, like having a method of passing cards and jobs and tickets around within a company. That's, that's a part of, that's a form of tooling. Maybe now is the time to step into the second part of this question, which is how much is too much? Like it's very easy to be tied in and constrained by a system like that that has very specific ways of doing things. And then you come up across an edge case that doesn't fit that system. Something like breaks it and you have to change how you do things. Uh, how flexible is your system and how much you could spend all your, all your time coming up with the most fantastic workflow methodology ever, but not actually get any work done. Mm. Yeah, you just spend too much time thinking about the system. I think that's the thing across life, isn't it? People like kids at school who make spend all their time making revision timetables and then don't actually do the revision. <laughs> I imagine it, it, there are things that can get in your way, can't it? Like systems and processes can. The, uh, there's probably the, I think there's a fine line there between just the right amount so that you're getting on with the task and it's kind of supporting you, and then going a bit too far and you're kind of duplicating things and wasting time dealing with all the all this stuff instead of just being able to sit down and write code. Yeah, so I think there's a couple of bits of tooling that we want to like dig into and in a bit more detail in this episode, but the general gist, like to answer the question right at the start, well, are we right at the start? <laughs> no, I don't think we're probably about, the start. Probably <laughs> about halfway through, to answer the question about halfway through. Um, I think how much tooling is too much tooling is you should look at your results. You should look at your output and compare that to how much tooling you did. And if you spend, if you like increase your effort on tooling and your output decreases that's too much <laughs> but if you can i think keep tweaking it it's a living system bit of trial and error in there yeah so something that i do at my work and luckily i kind of heard of it before thanks to you uh was something called kanban and kanban boards um mm -hmm. i mentioned if you'd never heard of this before it'd be cool. i mean it's they have these names but at the end of the day they're not really that complicated yeah go on <laughs> as, as someone fairly new to it describe it describe kanban without using the word kanban it's basically a table um, with one, two, like a certain number of columns in it. For example, you could have like a ideas column and mm -hmm. then an in progress column and then a completed column. And then you have little cards that go in each of the columns. 
So you come up with an idea, you put it in the ideas column. This is what the task is. This is what needs to be done. This is the person that needs to do it. And then you can, you kind of, the idea is you want to move the cards across the board. So you take the idea into in progress. It's in the, your cards now in the in progress uh, column. So you are working on that. And then when that's finished, you probably want to put it like in, in, a, in a review column. But to keep it simple, you move it into the completed column when it's done. So you, you know how it's completed. And we, we do something similar for our episodes. So we, we have exactly that. We have I, our ideas column in one, and then we have potential next episode if we're thinking about ones that we actually want to talk about in the next week. And then we, we have one in our current episode. So the one we're working on, we can add notes and things to it. And then we have our list of completed episodes. So it's kind of a way of organizing tasks and then moving them across so that things are clear. Oh, yeah. I think also the, the skeuomorphic representation of that that clears it up for people who are maybe overwhelmed by the software side of it and the buzzwords is that you could do this on a whiteboard. You just draw some lines with a marker pen and then you use loads of post-it notes to put your tasks that you're doing up on that wall. And when you when you move one task from, the, from like say, it's in your backlog column of things you're not working on, when you start working on that task, you take that post-it note and you move you physically move it to the next column. That's mm. the, the metaphor that's at work here, uh, which is actually very simple and very effective. Um, so anyone who's used a Trello board is probably familiar with that kind of setup. Yeah. So they have these, and I think that applies to most of these things. They have na- names, but it's like behind the scenes, they're essentially fairly simple systems, which is why they're being used so much and in such a varied way. That kind of falls at the confluence between off- office-y like, workplace methodologies and the software and specific things that you use to make life easier is that you have a shared bit of software that does this within the team um so there's there's various different systems like github has has issues a lot of all the atlassian jira hipchat stuff there's there's all sorts of different systems within different companies um but there's yeah a lot of people just use a trello board a lot of people literally use a whiteboard um but it's Mm. nice to have it digitized and have a record of progress Um, yeah but my company used jira which is i mean i only know a bit of it but if you know a few of these words then like they went in and said, oh, we use Jira. I was like, do you know what that is? No, I don't know what that is. Oh, but we use a Kanban board on it. I was like, oh, okay, now I understand a bit more about You can quite quite quickly, if you know a few of these words, mm. when you're starting a new job, you can at least uh, yeah understand what's happening. Yeah, there's only so many ways to skin that particular cat, I think. And they're all, there are shared, there are similarities between all of them. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, so agile and I kind of around this agile, there's lots of different words. I mean, I feel like we're going on about agile too much. There's a, <laughs> it's you could spend a whole episode on it. Could yeah, you? and I think we probably we ought to have done more research to do that as well. <laughs> like I don't know the I don't know the agile manifesto off by heart. <laughs> what I will do is I will add a link to a podcast episode about from the one of the people who wrote the agile manifesto talking more in depth about it. Um, I remember maybe a year, a year and a half ago, I was listening to this episode. It was really interesting. Obviously, that's a bit too far away for me to remember. But I'm going to put that link in the show notes so that if you're interested in that or you're looking at working for a company that uses Agile, it might be worth going and listening so that you get that broad uh, overview of what it is. I think that's a, that's a good point to draw a line under like workplace tooling and like return perhaps to the more like software automation fun stuff side of it um, we've <laughs> talked briefly about the python automation i'm assuming i mean i mean you're only a few days in but when you write code are you writing you literally just writing into files like are you, you would you said you were doing flask are you writing python just py dot pi files is that how that works yeah so there's a 
there's like a GitHub repo that I've pulled onto my local machine. So I've got the files and then I just open that project and work directly with the files there. Yeah, there is some abstraction in terms of in the code itself. So like there are the way Flask works just lets you say the file name as opposed to having to put the dot whatever after it. But those those files are there. And when I'm working with the app itself, I'm working with the uh, with dot py files. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So is there any um, automation in that system? Is there, are there is there a test suite that you have to run before you can commit your code or push your code? Or yep. So there's a there's a test suite that I run, and then it's got like seventy or so tests on it that I have to make sure pass. Um, so I've been there for three days. So anything I say might not actually be the way that they usually do things. That I mean, I am at the stage where they're just giving me stuff to see if I can actually do what I say I can. I guess yeah. like the probationary period. So mm-hmm. this is probably not representative. And most of the work that is done at the company is not anything to do with Python or Flask. So I think this is just a beginner, <laughs> a beginner project for me. Yeah. So Perfect. rolling it back to to tooling and automation the things that you would want to automate in that flow are the running of those tests. And maybe when you make a pull request, like those tests are run externally um, and you don't have to automatically trigger that. Uh, Where the automation is useful is where it prevents the chance of you forgetting to do something. Um, So I mean, so my workflow, for instance, I have like every time I hit save, my file is automatically formatting itself and checking for syntax errors. Uh, So like missing, uh, semicolons and all that kind of stuff but also it's enforcing a certain amount of um like a grammar discipline so spaces after parentheses and that kind of stuff is like forced in um just to make sure that everything's consistent um so there's the little things that it's very easy to miss and very tedious to go back and change um, and then when i make a commit and make a push um when i push to the repo it automatically triggers a, a, a job using a service called jenkins which then runs the tests that we've predefined um so you can't once you've made, if you look in, if you look in the the repo at your pull request, there'll be a little tick or a cross as to whether it's passed or failed the tests, and you can't merge if it's failed the tests. Like we have for our for our website, we could talk about, couldn't we? Yeah, that's a, that's a good that's a good way in. So when I do a pull request for our website, um, you have to wait for it to pass certain tests. One of them, the first one is like header checks. I get, but then I guess you. That's to do with you, isn't it? <laughs> so you could probably explain that a bit more. But it seems like it's testing that it's not breaking the website when we yeah. push up this file. And one of the reasons for automating that is that we've automated something else as well. So that when we push to a certain branch, that automatically gets deployed onto a server somewhere and that becomes our website. So we don't then have to FTP or SFTP into somewhere and manually move a file ourselves. And we've got the the automation gives us the ability to... like deploying and rolling back with git you get all sorts of power from that so if you make a change and break something you can straight away roll back to an older version and there is a a sort of an audit trail of all the changes that have been made so um it's you're not likely to ever make a change push that file up and then overwrite it by changing something else without realizing Um, so we're deploying via service called netlify our domain lives on google uh domains.google.com I think mm-hmm. um, so you can change MX records and, and things oh, that's all done by Google yeah. yeah I think the idea of separating the concerns as well like Netlify handles the deployment we 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 link our re- repository to there we tell it we like, we can use their GUI to set certain config values or we can set config files in our repo that will change things so then when we push everything is automated and we don't have to touch anything 
Uh, it sounds like we've got an orthogonal system there. So for the listeners, the listeners at home, orthogonal is basically making sure that each of the different s- parts of your system are interdependent of each other. So that like your database, if you change your database, it doesn't affect how your website looks and vice versa. It's the separation of concerns in action. I'm reading The Pragmatic Programmer. Ah, excellent. Yeah. I've downloaded it and not read it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's on my good. Kindle. Mm-hmm. It was recommended by my boss. <laughs> ah, it was recommended, well, when I did a web search for junior developers to read. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm reading it. <laughs> is it worth readdressing the too much being like where what at what point is too much or have we covered that do you think i know know we've touched on it twice already in this episode i think we don't need to revisit that at this stage and say oh you could spend too much time building your system up Um, i think we've done that i think we've yeah and also i don't think you can spend too much time building your system up when it comes to automatic deployment because all of that is super useful for any medium to large scale project Mm, i there's going to be stuff that's not that important, but if it's going to actually affect your product in the end or affect your customers somehow, mm-hmm. then it's worth getting being able to do those checks so that you don't have to remember to do them. So that sort of automation is really good, I think. Yeah, but making little bash scripts and stuff just so that you don't have to press one key more than you have to <laughs> when you're doing a certain command, that, that's the sort of stuff that's, in my mind, too much and a waste of time. Yeah, but that and that's where you need to exercise judgment because that kind of automation, which is the really fun kind of automation, which is writing a little script to like do something. So say you've got to go, you've got a whole like list of files, and and you need to go and change their file names and change a file type or something. Make a little change to a whole load of files, like formatting images, for instance, like getting it the right image sizes for every like particularly if you're using responsive images and you need like a, a tiny, tiny, tiny version to go on a mobile screen and a medium sized version and then a big size and then a massive version for massive screens or like ultra HD kind of thing. Like building those, like going into Photoshop and manually making different sized versions of an image is really, really tedious. And if you've got to do that for every image on your website, eventually you're just going to not bother and you're going to end up just shipping massive high res images to a website that doesn't need it. So having a, writing a script that can look at a file, look at a folder of your images take those images, create the right sized versions is a fantastically useful bit of automation. Yeah, and I think there's a point in automation where if you are you find yourself doing something multiple times, then that's where you need the automation. You don't need it for the thing that you're going to do maybe once a year um, because the amount of time that it takes you to actually automate that task is probably more than it, than it will add up over the years. So it's that thing of that the dry principle applied in multiple places. The don't don't repeat yourself. Yeah, it definitely ties into the way you write code as well. I think it's the same decision making logic: is do I abstract this bit of logic that I've written three times now? Am I going to be using it again enough to warrant having this as be a separate helper function, or is it okay that I just do this in in line every time because I'm not doing it that often? That calculus is the same process for when it comes to automating a script. I think definitely. Did you want to talk about Alfred? Do you use Alfred? Nope. Uh, do you use, I mean, when you're on, I know you're Windows based for work now, but when you're on your Mac, do you use um, like command space, quick quick search? Yeah. Like, uh, Spotlight search. That's the one. Spotlight, Does the yeah. job. Yep. Alfred is like that, but on steroids. So you, yep. can, you can set your own little recipes and methods. So we have things for work. Like if I want to get to, to the uh, particular doc, uh, the particular admin screen for a particular account based on a, a user ID, I can just like type in the Alfred thing and, and jump there straight 
jump there really quickly. Hmm. I can you can set up all sorts of different things. And that's a really useful tool for not like if bash scripts terrify you. Alfred's a nice place to start for automating some things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that leads into kind of if this then that, which is a, a useful service for like non programmatically, but it is essentially programmatically setting up things. So it's like if I push to this repository, move a card over to um, like move something around in Zapier or connect connect through to uh, put a like, notify Slack that a repo a pull request has been made and then send an email to a certain person on, under certain conditions. That kind of automation yeah. that ties in, um, which sometimes you I mean for like linking to Slack is a really common form of automation and we have it for a lot of places because we use that for our, essentially an audit trail. So if, if I'm away for three days and I want to I come back and I want to find out what has been pushed to a certain project, I can I can either go straight to that repo or I can just look like, peruse Slack and see all the important things there in one place. Um, and that's another balancing act. You want to make sure that doesn't get too noisy. You don't want every commit to kind of send you an alert. Um, notifications can be too much, but certain ones are useful. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> I think to carry on any further down talking about automation route is essentially we're just describing our favorite bash scripts which is perhaps <laughs> mildly interesting in a blog post not so good over spoken word i think probably yeah i think this is more of a been more of a like a broad overview of the sorts of different things you can use if there's something that you like the sound of then obviously go and google it do your own research on it but i think the thing to take away is there is going to be like, if you're looking at becoming a developer and getting a job there is going to be your workplace is going to have some form of tooling or build pipelines and automation that that goes along with it so just having a a knowledge of even the fact that that's going to happen is probably extremely useful going in so it's not a complete surprise when you start when you've got so many other things to think about that you know like if someone says to you oh we're an agile company you know vaguely what that means you may not know the specific way that happens in that company but you know the sort you know what they're talking about when they say that and that's one la one less thing you have to say what's agile what's i mean you can still say those things but maybe you don't want to you want to ask the right questions when you're starting off Oh, that's really good advice. And it's also worth noting that developers are going to develop. And like, if you're coming in to particularly to a team of developers, there are going to be automations and there's going to be things that are obscure and specific to the people that you're specific, you're working with. Like they're going to have their own particular things they've built because developers tend to enjoy, I mean, it's stereotyping, but developers tend to enjoy automating that kind of thing and find it useful and have the ability to automate it. It's like a core skill is being able to automate these things. So be prepared to encounter automation and it's easier to embrace it and to learn the specifics and mechanics of how it's put together than it is to just i mean i've been trapped in the past by just like oh there's all this magic that happens so i'm not going to get into that and i'll let the senior developers do with that um when i was the junior that was an easy trap to fall into but the stuff's not scary and it's kind of fun when you get into it so dive in is what i would say yeah Brilliant. Thanks a lot for listening. Make sure you check us out on Twitter at AQO Code. And our website is aqoc.dev or just a question of code.com. Listen in next week to find out which keyboard I choose. <laughs> well, you'll be able to tell from the Foley effects of the <laughs> clacky, clacky, clacky. <laughs> yeah. So thanks again for listening. Make sure you're telling your friends or anyone that you know that is learning to code. And make sure you listen in next time and subscribe. And be sure to ask any questions to us on Twitter or via any email, any of the channels that you like. But we love your questions. Keep them coming. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Goodbye.